unimpressed with the guy my bosses were certain would be in the Oval Office before long. My angst was way more selfish than that. Jerry Ford was going to be the next president of the free world, and he and I had bombed with each other. That would be my problem, of course, certainly not his. I'd just been handed a plum assignment with the guaranteed ticket to a prized White House posting, and after fifteen minutes on the beat I was already in the dumpster. Improbably, our relationship gradually mellowed, helped along by endless journeys together in a tiny twin-engine prop jet that in a pre-imperial era seemed like a pretty adequate Air Force, too. There were only seven press regulars on the plane, and before long Ford was routinely topping off those impossibly long days on the road with martinis and chit-chat in the press cabin. Eventually, some personal bonding developed. For whatever reason, he seemed to like us, and even his political adversaries would readily concede it had always been hard work to dislike Jerry Ford. Who couldn't like a guy, for instance, who seldom passed up a chance to poke fun at himself? One late night, heading back to Washington after eighteen grueling hours on the road, Ford wandered up to the press section to rehash the day's events. Say, what did you think of my speech, he wanted to know. Usually there was not a polite answer for that query. With rare exceptions, Ford was a dreadful orator, so none of us ventured an opinion. Not worth a damn, was it, he answered himself, unleashing that signature raucous Midwestern laugh that was so infectious. More to the point, Ford was a shrewd judge of character. He hadn't survived Washington's cutthroat political combat without being able to figure out who could be trusted and who couldn't. Unless burned, he always gave associates and acquaintances the benefit of the doubt. Our tiny band of reporters never violated his many late-night confidences. Somewhere along the line, we all passed his trust test. In my case, I'll always believe our professional relationship was cemented in the spring of 1974 during a short chat in Palm Springs, in a hotel not far from where he died. Infuriated by a disparaging remark from a Nixon loyalist and goaded by me, Ford blurted out an amazing political indiscretion, then asked me not to print it. I was literally petrified especially after the Vice President of the United States grabbed my tie and rather forcefully informed me I wasn't leaving until I agreed to forget what I'd just heard. After what seemed like an eternity of gut-churning negotiation, we reached an understanding and shook hands. I've kept my word to him. The genesis for this book, even its very title, traces to that brief, powerful Easter encounter. In 1991, after he'd been out of office for 14 years, I asked him to let me begin a series of regular obit interviews that could only be published after his death. In my proposal, passed through Bob Barrett, his first retirement chief of staff, I argued that he could be far more candid with this sort of arrangement, which would be better for history, and for me, of course, which I didn't point out. A few days later, Barrett called back and said, we had a deal. My inspiration for the idea was our April 1974 encounter, although I didn't mention it when making my pitch. I'll never know if that epic exchange was also on his mind when he agreed to this arrangement. 
Regardless, I'll always be grateful he trusted me enough to make this book happen. Some skeptics have already concluded that Ford saw this arrangement as a way to spin his legacy or settle scores from the grave. I doubt it. He was the most remarkably guileless political figure I've ever known. He had a modest Machiavellian side, but it surfaced only occasionally, like at the 1980 Republican convention in Detroit, when he consciously maneuvered the silly notion of making him the running mate of a guy he didn't like into well-deserved oblivion. As for our embargoed interviews, I believe the only calculation at play was the impulse, hardwired into his DNA like nothing else, to be a nice guy. This is not a conventional biography or a biography at all. Several good ones are already in print, nor does it pretend to be a policy tome. I offer instead what might be...